Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're continuing our series on how to study the Bible. And, you know, my temptation today, because of the anniversary of 9-11, because of um, the, the president's um, attempted tyranny of this past week, um, I was tempted to just camp on that stuff for a little while. And, but the problem is, in order to know how to deal with all of these things, we need to know how to interpret the Bible. We need to get our answer not from the preacher. We need to get our answer from the Word of God. But what's fun, the answer to what's going on right now, is actually in our lesson today. Isn't it amazing? I know this is going to surprise some of you, especially Patrick Kennedy. The Bible actually answers our trouble. The, the, the Bible actually has the answer to where we are right now. And what's fun is I had, didn't have to go and search for it. And so we're going to see that. Let's start here, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and look at verse 15. I think some of you might know this verse. Study. And if you don't have a Bible, you're going to want one today. Um, look under the seat in front of you. There's a Bible there. Uh, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So, we, we've been looking at why it's important to study the Bible, why you can trust it. Um, we looked at our most recent uh, message. It would be the theme of the Bible. And we know the theme of the Bible is not the redemption of mankind. Man, I'm so thankful the redemption of mankind is in the Bible. But that's not the theme. That would make man the center of the Bible. The theme of the Bible is that one day Jesus Christ is going to return to sit on his throne in Jerusalem and to receive the glory that's due his name. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in the book of Acts that all the holy prophets prophesied about that day. That was the theme of their preaching. And that needs to be the theme of our lives. Jesus Christ is coming back. And we're going to get to some of that in a minute. But look at what it says again. Study to show thyself approved. Study. Study. The Bible says, study to do good works. The Bible says, study. What does that mean? It's work. Study and workman. Study and workman. You know, there are people that I'll, that I'll ask a young man, I'll want to go into the ministry, and I'll, I'll ask this question, do you like to read? Well, no. I always like to say this. I'll say this at preacher's meetings. Um, a preacher that doesn't read doesn't have to tell you. Right? It's like a person who doesn't wear deodorant. They don't have to tell you. Study. Study. You can't be a, you cannot be a preacher and teacher of God's word without studying. Would y'all agree with that? How many of you have ever heard a sermon where you could tell the guy didn't study? Yeah. Well, we, we, you, you say every week. No, but I do try. <laughs> It's, it's really important that we understand that if you're going to understand the Bible, you can't just put it under your pillow at night and get the information through osmosis. It's going to take work, and it's going, it has to be intentional study. But then look at what it says. Study to show thyself approved unto God, 
approved unto God. That means there's a way that God wants us to do his work. He approves of one type of ministry. He disapproves of all other types of ministry. That's interesting, isn't it? So maybe if we're going to be approved of God, how many of you want God to bless this church? And you want God to bless your work for the Lord? It's very important that you do God's work God's way. Did you know that God's not really interested in your opinion on it? He's not interested in my opinion on how to do the work of the Lord. My job is to submit to what he says about the work of the ministry. That's why we have the church epistles. God wrote through the Apostle Paul to the churches to give us instruction about how to do the work of the Lord. So let's look at this verse again. Study to show thyself approved unto man. This is where increasingly, so there's there's all kinds of podcasts that are out there. There's one that's called the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. And it's all guys that have wanted to move away from a, a belief in the scriptures, confidence in what we have. Um, they want to move to something else, to a kinder, gentler Christianity. How many of you think a kinder, gentler anything is going to work in this culture? Right? Uh, I, I like the statement that any nation that believes it can maintain peace using only peaceful means will soon be a peace of another nation. Right? We saw that in Afghanistan. As they were leaving, they turned over the power to somebody else, and then you're at their will. You've got no power. There, there's nothing that you can do. And so, as believers, our faith needs to become stronger. Our statements need to be made more boldly. Our passion must not be for our own personal individual liberty. Our passion must be for bringing glory to God. If my personal liberty can bring glory to God, praise his name. But my number one desire must not be my own personal liberty. It must be to bring glory to God. Now, you know that Laodicea means rights of the people. That's, that's what it means. It's all about me, church. What's, what's the church going to do for me? Will, will, when I come to church, will they change my oil? When I come to church, will there be pony rides? What do you have for my children? Well, what are you going to do for everybody else's children? You see the difference? That great theologian, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country, right? Is that a terrible JFK impersonation? So this idea of having a ministry that is approved in the culture, it's destroying churches. It's destroying churches. We don't want a church that looks like the world. We want a church that looks like heaven come down to earth. That's the goal. And we can only do that by being obedient to the scriptures. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if you can do something rightly, you can also do it wrongly, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the reason that there's so much misunderstanding on doctrine, on Bible doctrine, some people teach you can speak in tongues, some people teach you shouldn't speak in tongues. Some people try to add works to salvation, some people don't. Uh, some people want to add all kinds of things to the teaching, and they all get their authority, supposedly, from the Bible. 
Why does that happen? Because they do not know how to rightly divide the word of truth. So I want to talk today, if you're going to understand the Bible, I want us to look at some of the divisions that you have to understand in the Bible. The first division is pretty simple. New Testament and Old Testament. Right? Sometimes, you know, we are dispensational. Sometimes sometimes somebody will say, well, I'm not a dispensationalist. I don't believe in dispensations. Come on, you believe in two at least. Old Testament, New Testament. Amen? And where you get all kinds of confusion is where people go to the Old Testament to teach behavior for the New Testament. The Bible has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's what Jesus did. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Are you glad we're not under the law? I would be violating it right now because I have a cotton shirt and I have a wool suit and a silk tie. Right? That's mixing of fabrics. Well, we're not under that law. We're not under it at all. Praise God for that. So when you try and impose the law on people, what you're doing is you're not rightly dividing the word of truth. And we can give many illustrations of that. So these divisions, Old Testament and New Testament. If you ask the average Christian, most people, where did the New Testament start? Well, they're going to go to Matthew 1.1 because at the top of their, their page it says New Testament. So my, if you asked me, where does the New Testament start I would say, well, it starts where Jesus said it started. How many of you think that would be a good source? Okay, so let's try and track that down. Go to the book of Luke. All right, and look with me at... This is why I have two Bibles. I don't know where anything is in this new Bible that I've got. All right, Luke chapter 22 and verse 20. We can get verse 19 for the context. Luke 22 and verse 19. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it. And gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup of the what? What is it? This cup of the what? New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. This is the, the I'm sorry. This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. So Jesus said that the New Testament begins with the shedding of his blood. Is that what Jesus just said? Let's see if the Bible, you know, the Bible says uh, uh, in the mouths of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. Let's see if we can get two or three witnesses on this. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. I do want to say one thing about this. Some of what we're covering this morning, we've covered often in my adult Sunday school class or in our Wednesday night Bible study, but many of you are not in my Sunday school class, and you're serving other places during our Wednesday night Bible study, and in our How to Study the Bible, we need to get some of these things settled. So, look at Hebrews chapter 9, 
and look at verse 12. Neither by the blood, Hebrews 9 and verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So how many times did Jesus need to enter into the holy place? One more time. How many times? Every time communion is offered? How many times? Okay. So it says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained temporary redemption for us. Oh, it doesn't say temporary? So that blood doesn't give you redemption until the next time you sin, but eternally. How many of you thankful that you're eternally saved? Amen. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. So that's all part of that Old Testament Levitical sacrifice. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of God, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You cannot be saved through works. God does not need your works. As a matter of fact, if your works could save you, Jesus did not need to die on the cross. All right? So those works of the Old Testament, they, they don't apply today. All right? So now, verse 15. And for this cause, what's that? The cause of his death. He is the mediator of the, what are those next two words? That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament. So what's the First Testament? We call it the Old Testament. They which are called might receive the promise of temporary inheritance. Okay. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. How many of you have a will? How many of you have, and you've registered it, you have a will. If you don't have a will, get a will. It's going to cause your family all kinds of trouble if you don't write up a will. Say, Pastor, that's none of your business. You're right. I'm just giving you some advice. But your will, so Laura and I have a will, and is Jacob in it? <laughs> it depends on the day. So I got a bunch of stuff that Jacob wants. My dad, I'd go and get one of my dad's tools, and I'd say, I need this. And he'd say, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> my dad would always say, why? Because it's not mine until he dies, unless he gives it to me. Right? Are you with me on this? And so your, your will is of no force while you're alive. But after you die, it becomes really important. It's a really significant thing. All right? So let's look at, let's keep reading. Verse 17 now, verse 16 again. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. And he goes on to talk about it. So in the Old Testament, there was blood, but it was the blood of animals. The blood of animals had to be reapplied. 
You had to reapply it every year. The, the high priest had to enter into the holy place every year. Why? Because there was a remembrance of sin. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and entered once into the holy place, not made with hands, that's the, that's the, the, the real temple that's in heaven, the physical temple on earth was just a picture of that. When Jesus entered into that place with his own blood, now I am saved. If I allow that blood to be applied to my account, I am saved eternally. I am redeemed eternally. Praise God. That was not the message of the Old Testament. That was not the message of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go to Matthew chapter 10. You say, Pastor, that sounds like heresy. Let's just read the Bible. The Bible can really clear up a lot of your doctrine. Matthew chapter 10. Verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. Is that the direct statement? Go not into the way of the Gentiles. So don't go to the Gentiles, and then don't go to the half people. Don't go to the mixed breeds. Don't go to the half Jew, half Gentile. Don't, don't go to them. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. That is not what we preach at Grace Baptist Church. I can't raise the dead. I can't heal the sick. I can't cleanse the lepers. Those were apostolic sign gifts given to these apostles for a specific thing. As a sign to the Jews, the Bible says. As a sign to the Jews. That's what this was given for. And what was their message? So our first division is uh, Old Testament and New Testament. You have to understand where the New Testament started to be able to understand what your message is for today. It's very important. What is our message? Go to Luke chapter 24. You say, wait a minute. I thought you said that the Gospels were Old Testament. Well, not the whole thing. They're Old Testament until the New Testament starts. Okay, somebody tell me, when did the New Testament start? What was, what was the event? What, the, the cross, the death of Christ. So Luke chapter 24, look at verse 45. After his resurrection, he's already met the men on the Emmaus Road. Now he's met with his disciples, and he starts teaching them. Luke chapter 24 and verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day. That is not the message they had been preaching. Y'all know that, right? That's not the message that they had been preaching. Verse 47, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among the Jews, not the Gentiles. Is that what it says? No. What's it say? Among what? Beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. So now we have to understand that there's a division there's a division between the message that the apostles were preaching when Jesus was on earth and the message that we preach now. 
Again, many times people get real confused about this. They have this idea that the apostles were preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If that's what you are thinking, you cannot understand the Gospels. You cannot understand it. Let's make sure that we get it. Look with me at Mark chapter 9. How to study the Bible, understanding it by the divisions. Remember, Jesus takes his disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's transfigured before them. Look at verse 9, Mark chapter 9 and verse 9. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen. Look, till the Son of Man, that was Jesus Christ's name for himself, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they said, okay, we'll wait until after that. No. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another, what should the rising of the dead, or what the rising of the dead should mean? Is that what it says? They're not saying they question within themselves. Okay, so after the resurrection of dead, we know what that is because that's what we've been preaching. Mount of Transfiguration is at the end of Christ's life. Remember, he meets with Moses and Elijah talking about the death that he would accomplish. And Peter, James, and John are there. They don't have any idea what's going on. Look at Luke, book of Luke, chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, look at verse, I'm sorry, Luke 18 and verse 31. Luke 18 and verse 31. How to understand your Bible. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. And they understood all of these things because they had been preaching it for three years. You understand, that's how most people understand this this passage. But let's allow the Bible to clear up our thinking. And they understood, what's the next word? None of these things. And this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. Did you know that even after his death, they still didn't know? Have you ever wondered why they weren't standing outside the tomb? Okay, three days. Three days, he's coming back. First day of the week, he's going to rise from the dead. He's going to rise. Now, how to get that from Friday, we have a real problem, but that's a different sermon. Okay, here we are. We're looking. All right, he's going to come. Is that what happened? No. Why did he have to go find him? Why Why had Peter gone back fishing? He was dead. Why were the, the disciples on the Emmaus Road cast down? Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe. All that God has spoken by his prophets. That's what Jesus said to them. Remember what Jesus said to them on the Emmaus Road? Why are you sad? Don't you know what things have happened? And Jesus, it's so funny. Jesus has a sense of humor. He said to them, what things? 
And they're telling Jesus about the crucifixion of Jesus. They didn't know he was going to rise from the dead. How do we know that? John chapter 20. Right? Divisions. Now, if this is the first time you've heard it, you might be thinking, this guy is crazy. Well, I may be, but not on this. John chapter 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and saith unto them, Jesus has risen from the dead, just like he told us. Is that what it says? Now, how many of you know Mary Magdalene loved Jesus? Remember, she anointed his, him for his death? She didn't know she was doing that. Look what the Bible says. You skip down to verse 4. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down, that's John, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Now, every Easter Sunday, somebody's going to preach that he believed in the resurrection. The only problem is they never read the next verse. For as yet, they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So let me ask you, if they didn't know, how many of you, that's kind of the first time you've ever seen that idea, that they didn't know about the death, burial, and resurrection? Kind of new for you. Isn't that interesting? And the reason for that is people struggle with that division of the New Testament not beginning until the resurrection of Christ. But if we understand that's actually what the Bible says, now everything else will fall into place. Now we understand what's going on in some of these confusing passages. So when we get here, they didn't know about the resurrection from the dead. That's why Jesus had to go and reveal himself. What, what did, what did uh, Thomas say? Unless I, I can put my fist in his side and my finger in his hands, I'm not going to believe. Well, he was one of the apostles, the apostle, apostle means sent one. They had, they used to be disciples. Matthew 10 starts with the 12 disciples. When he sends them, now they become apostles because the word apostle means sent one. And they were sent to do something. What were they sent to do? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 10. And let's try to understand what the Bible says about it. So our first division, Old Testament, New Testament. Our second division is understanding the preaching of the Old Testament compared to the preaching of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 10. And look at verse 5 again. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles. Verse 6. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 7. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You might want to keep your place here. Put your ribbon there. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1.
Look at verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So the former treatise was the, the Gospel of Luke. So the Apostle Luke is writing the book of Acts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he had, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible tr- proofs, being seen of them forty days. Now, what was he doing for those forty days? And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. So for 40 days, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. So let's try and get a biblical understanding of the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Now, many commentators believe that it's the same thing. That that when it says kingdom of heaven or it says kingdom of God, that they're interchangeable. The reason that some think that is because often, or in several places, they're parallel passages. One place is called the kingdom of heaven, another place is called the kingdom of God. The reason for that, just an easy explanation, easy, is because Jesus is present in both of those places. You can't have the kingdom of heaven without Jesus, and you can't have the kingdom of God without Jesus. When he's there, both of those can be present, okay? I'm going to explain that more, but that's the simple answer to why people confuse it. This is the most important key to understanding your Bible, what we're looking at today. The difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. So, let's get some of that established. So, let's look at... Look with me at Romans chapter 14... divisions. This division is the division, the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 14. All right, so get Romans chapter 14 and get Luke chapter 17. Let's compare these two passages. Romans 14 and Luke 17. So Romans 14, and look at verse 17. Now, when you get that, look up here. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever confused the words heaven and God? That's interesting, isn't it? How many of you know that that they're really not synonyms? Right? So let's see if that makes any difference. Verse 17, Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. All right? So the Bible says no man hath seen God at any time. God is a spirit. You can't see him. He's a spirit. Show us the Father, Jesus said. Well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's why Jesus came, was to show the Father, because the Father's a spirit, You can't see him. How many of you follow that so far? All right, so now go to Luke chapter 17. And look at verse 20. 
And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. You can't see it. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is not on earth. The kingdom of God is in you. Now, anybody here, you're born again. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is your Savior. And that happens when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. That's the only way that a person can be born again. That's it. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. How many of you believe that? Do you have the indwelling Holy Spirit? We know that because the Bible says that. Okay? That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you, and you can't see that. I can't look at Chad Hollinger and know whether or not he's saved. I can't know that because it's not visible. Right? So now, when the Bible says that in Matthew chapter 10, go and preach. Well, let's go back. Matthew 10. I think you've got your ribbon there. Matthew 10. Verse 7. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is at hand. All right? Cohen, come here for a minute. Here's what at hand means. Cohen's at hand. That's what it means. It's not, tech, it's not, it's not complicated. It's right here. I can touch him. It's at hand. All right? Thank you, Cohen. The, the, remember what the, what the Gospel of John says, that which we have seen with our eyes and which our hands have handled of the word of life. That's Jesus. They touched him. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. One of the mistakes we make is we think of heaven as a, as a mystical thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right? Heaven... When the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven, that is the kingdom that Jesus Christ came to establish on this earth. That's, that's what he came to do. But he came unto his own, and his own what? Received him not. They rejected him. And so began the church age. The church is not talked about in the Old Testament at all. Nothing in the Old Testament has anything to do with the church. There are pictures of the church. You might say that when Enoch was translated, when he was taken out, that that's a picture of the church being removed before the, the tribulation period, the rapture of the church. Well, that's a great picture of that, and I don't doubt that that's what it is, but it doesn't say anything about the church. Right? The kingdom of heaven, the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven was, hey, uh, Ethan, i got to tell you something. It's at hand. Jesus is here. He's here, and he's ready to establish his kingdom. That was the message of the kingdom. What was John the Baptist preaching? John did baptize, right? But what did he preach? He preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the, sin of the, earth, the sins of the world. But the primary message he was preaching was the kingdom is here. What was he baptizing the Jews about? All of Judea came out to be baptized. What was he baptizing them for? They had stopped looking for the Messiah. He said, hey, the Messiah is here. 
the Messiah is here. That was the message. The message was not the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They didn't know anything about that. Can we demonstrate that? Just so that you can be very clear. Go to Acts chapter 1. Jesus Christ has just been preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God to them. He spent 40 days elaborating the kingdom of God to them. Acts chapter 1. Verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And that happens in chapter 2, right? When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He's been teaching them about the kingdom of God for 40 days. But they're going back to their original message. They're going back to their original message. What is the kingdom of God? That's when Je- the kingdom of heaven. That's when Jesus Christ rules and reigns on earth for a thousand years. Go to Zechariah, second to the last book of the Old Testament, chapter 14. Zechariah, chapter 14. Here's the kingdom of heaven. Zechariah, chapter 14. Look at verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. So that in that day, that's the day that the Lord returns to be king. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. That's the physical kingdom that Jesus Christ is coming to establish. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. That is coming. But it's not now yet. Go to uh, the book of Hebrews. Chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 6. For unto the angels hath he, but for unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak, verse 6. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. So Jesus is over everything. Verse, look, at the, look at the rest of the verse. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. We see not yet all things put under his feet. So now here's our problem. Okay, go back with me to Acts chapter 1. I want you to see something. You said, Pastor, you said that what we're dealing with right now will be dealt with in our passage. You've got to understand the distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament and between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. There are a lot of people in the Christian world and in the evangelical, the conservative evangelical Christian world that hold to what's called post-millennialism or amillennialism. 
And they don't believe in the rapture of the church. They don't believe there's a moment coming where all believers are going to be taken out. They don't believe that. They believe that our job is to overcome, to take dominion over the earth, to conquer the globe and make the world so a, a, a good place for Jesus to return. Okay? These are the people. The, well, let's look at this verse. No. Don't get ahead of me. All right? I mean, okay. Here's what they're asking. Verse 6, Acts 1, 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And here's what people are praying right now. Lord, will you again restore the kingdom to us in America? Lord, we're your chosen people. Lord, we are a shining city on a hill. Lord, we are your representative in the world. The United States is that great gleaming bastion of liberty. And if America goes away, the light of liberty will be diminished on the entire face of the earth. Have you ever heard something like that? I'll bet you there's a bunch of those sermons going on right now because of 9-11. The reason they want to destroy us is because of our righteous representation of Jesus Christ. Oh, really hanging gay flags in all of our embassies around the world? How many of you think that's righteous? Now, there might be somebody here that thinks that. Well, Jesus says it's an abomination, and I would say to you, woe to him that calls good evil and evil good. Right? The United States, now, don't get mad at me. Please don't get mad at me. If you do, I don't care. But it, somebody showed me a leftist tears mug. That's, that's uh, Shapiro, right? What, what's he say? Um, I know this is going to hurt your feelings. Fortunately, I don't care. That's what he says. And I, and I really don't care. The United States is the representative of evil in the world. We transport more pornography. We put out more pornography than any nation. Our missionary, um, uh, he's here pastoring in Ohio now, but he was in Uganda. In the nation of Uganda, homosexuality was against the law. The United States State Department told them they would cut off all support, all aid, all help, unless they removed that law. Is that representing righteousness, or is that representing abomination? So I want you to see something that's so important. Go to the book of Psalms. Psalm 110. This is the passage that was cited in the book of Hebrews. The Lord said unto my Lord, by the way, if you don't believe in the deity of Christ, you've got a real problem with that passage. Amen? How many believe Jesus is God? Okay? You know, you know that God's not schizophrenic. Right? Roses are red, violets are blue, I'm schizo and so am I. That's not what's happening here. The Lord said unto... Jacob, should that have been one of the jokes that you wanted? Okay. You'll find out about that tonight, I think. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father until he makes his enemies his footstool. All right? 
Now, go with me to Psalm 45. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Verse 6. Again, this is cited in Hebrews chapter 2. Psalm 45 and verse 6. Thy throne, O God. That's God the Father speaking to God the Son in Hebrews. I showed that to somebody from the way. I was flying in... uh, to, to Oklahoma, and the guy told me that the Bible never says that Jesus is God, and I showed him that verse, and it really threw a monkey wrench in his theology. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows." See, here's what we need to understand. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The the kingdom is God establishing righteousness on the earth. That's what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to come and establish righteousness on the earth. Let me just tell you something. You are not going to do that. You are not going to do that. The reason we have to have laws... You know, this, this whole idea of, of removing all government, that violates Scripture because the, the Bible understands that men are evil, men are wicked, and that evil must be restrained. And so the Bible says that God has given government the sword to be a terror to evildoers. Why? Because evildoers, the Bible says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This world is going to continue getting worser and worser. It's going to get bad. Are we witnessing that? Right? And so here's the problem. There will be some in the Christian world. Now, what are we looking at? How to understand your Bible. The reason we need to understand the Bible is we need to know how to live out in the world, right? We need to know that. We need to know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We certainly need to know the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is coming back. The the Bible says that very clearly. Jesus said, uh, talking about Jesus, this same Jesus, which you've seen, that's when he ascended into heaven, will come in like manner as you have seen him go. He's coming back. We believe that. And when he comes back, he's going to come back, wow, with flames of fire going against the ungodly, the unrighteous. You're not going to purify the world. Well, wait a minute. The Bible says that you're the salt of the earth, that you're here to preserve the earth. Where does it say that? Is that Matthew chapter 6, 5 or 6? Who's that talking to? Israel. Are we Israel? Oh, we're spiritual Israel. Really? Really? You see, one of the other divisions that you have to understand, and we'll get into this more in another message, it's vital. The distinction between Israel and the church. You're not Israel. You're a part of the church. In the church, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, the Bible says. But God is not done with Israel. Brethren, I have to be ignorant. The Bible says 
that, that blindness in part has happened unto the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. But then it says that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God called that nation. They are his nation. The only reason God hasn't destroyed Israel or destroyed the United States is because we're a friend of the Jews. That's it. We don't deserve anything other than destruction. And you know what the Bible says about us? All the nations are to God as a drop in the bucket. That's what God thinks of the United States. The only reason that God would smile on the United States is if we're a friend to the Jews. Because he's not done with them. They are still his people. And all of these people that are getting so messed up, they're going to be people because the president has said that companies over 100 must be vaccinated. Everybody has to be vaccinated. There are people that are going to call for revolution. Well, let me just be very clear on this. Let me be very clear on this. Your job as a believer is identified in Acts chapter 1. Let's go there. Verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Are you going to restore the kingdom? You're going to restore the kingdom? You don't need to know when that happens. Here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go out and be a witness. And let me just ask you a question. How many of you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? You believe in that. How many of you believe that people that do not believe in the death, burial, and resurrection are already condemned to a Christless eternity in hell? How many of you believe that? How many of you are more exercised right now about a vaccine mandate than about your neighbor who's about to go to hell? How many of you think Satan's pretty pumped about that? Remember what Paul said to the Galatians? You did run well. Who hath hindered you? Oh, Joe Biden. And listen, it's between you and God whether you take a vaccine or not. I, I, that, that is completely between you and God, whether you choose to take a vaccine to keep your job, whether you don't. I think it would be wise for all of us to wait, not, not take up arms and go kill people. It might be a good idea to explore legal means first. How many of you think that's probably a good idea? Let's be honest. How many of you want to go kill somebody? Be honest. Come on. God knows. You know what God's saying right now? Not, not in an audible voice. God doesn't talk to me. But if he did, you know what he'd say? Alter, you're such a hypocrite. You know you want to go kill everybody. I do. That's why it's real important that I submit to the Bible. You see, it's so easy to get distracted by this stuff. It is so easy. How many of you believe anything the government's telling you about this stuff? I don't believe them. How many of you believe anything the medical community is telling you about this stuff? I don't trust any of them. Pox on all their houses. Uh, well, there's a vaccine for that. I, I don't trust any of them. 
I trust this. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to the United States? Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel. Go be a witness. Go tell somebody about the death, burial, and resurrection. Now, we know that that doesn't diminish our responsibility as citizens, right? To stand for liberty, to stand for truth, to, you know, was it truth, justice in the American way? That That's... We're, we we have a job to do, right? We have a responsibility as citizens, but we've got to do it scripturally. Because let me tell you, okay, here's my conspiratorialist coming out. Okay, yes, I'm, this is I'm channeling Alex Jones. Here is what they want. Who's they? I don't know. Satan. Here's what they want. We got the midterms coming up that we ought to sweep. How many of you seriously think that's what we ought to do? You say, well, they're just going to steal it. Man, those are all local. It's going to be much harder to steal that than it was the presidential election. Okay? Here's what I think they want to do. Now, I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, but I think this is what they want to do. They want another January 6th to give them reasons to, to shut down the election, to control things. Let's not give it to them. And I understand it was peaceful protest when they're burning down buildings. When we got a couple of buffoons that wander in, hey, look at this. Oh, I'm in their office. Oh, that's an insurrection. Come on. <laughs> right? But that's all on purpose. They waved them in. Go ahead. Go on in. Go on in. Let's not give that to them again. And yet, let's pressure our governor to say, no, no, not here. Not here. We're not going to do that stuff here. And again, listen to what I'm saying. It's between you and God whether you take a vaccine or not. It's completely immoral to be required to put something into your body like that. Right? But we got to handle it right. Say, so, Pastor, it feels like this message kind of went off the rails. No. There's a lot of Christians that will have that kingdom of heaven mentality. You know what the Bible says about the kingdom? That the violent take it by force. We're not supposed to be the violent. No. We're supposed to pray for the government. Why? That we can live peaceably. Leave us alone. That's, that's what we want. What do you want from, from Governor DeWine? Leave me alone. Go, you do your thing, leave me alone. That's it. That's what we want. It's really important that we understand if you live in a New Testament mindset, then you're not going to take up arms to kill somebody that believes different than you do. That's Old Testament. And man, they were serious about it. Right? Kill every man, woman, child, and beast. That's pretty serious. We don't do that in the New Testament. When the disciples were sent out, Jesus said, sell your garment, buy a sword. And they said, we have two. He said, that's enough. He didn't tell you to go start a militia. He didn't say build a compound. He said, be able to defend yourself while you're preaching the gospel. Amen? We're not pacifists. My dad always told about the Quaker who said, I would not harm thee for any reason, but thou art standing where I'm about to shoot. <laughs> We're not pacifists, but neither are we murderers. 
You know, us droning that family as we're leaving Afghanistan, that's just murder. Amen? It's just murder. That's not us. That doesn't represent us well. That's not who we are. But we as a church, if we get distracted by vaccines, if we get distracted by government mandates, if we get distracted by tyranny, the Apostle Paul did pretty well under Nero. Right? Biden's not smart enough to be Nero. Right? But that same evil demonic spirit that indwelt Nero indwells all of our government right now. So righteousness exalts a people, but sin is a reproach to any people. We, we have a, our nation represents sin in the world. Let's represent righteousness as a church. Amen? How to study the Bible. Divisions. Old Testament, New Testament, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. we got to understand what our task is. Our task is not to take over the world. Our task is to realize that we have here no continuing city, but we look for a city whose builder and maker is God. Amen? How many of you, honestly, you're feeling a little earthbound right now? Ah, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Is that what the Bible says? Oh, man, that means you got to do it on purpose. Got to do it on purpose. Amen? If you've thought more about the vaccine this week than you have the, the, the lost and dying world, might be distracted. Maybe it's time to be refocused, reoriented, right? you got your, your map you're on, on your navigation, and you, you, you turn it, you know, you're trying to see where you're going, and you got to push that little button to recenter it. Understanding the Bible recenters your life. It gets you back where you need to be. Amen? Let's all stand together. Lord, there's so much to talk about in this how to study the Bible, and it's so relevant to where we are right now. And, and, and Lord, this world, it brings up such, such absolute hatred in me. Lord, you know that, that the murder that, that comes up in my heart at times like this, Lord, I can't stand up in front of your people and pretend I'm something I'm not. You know that murder comes into my heart. That's why I have to walk in the Spirit.